Thanks for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast. Did you know that beavers can grow tails up to 30 feet in length? That's a fact you'll only hear on this podcast because it is actually not true. Just another reason why this podcast sticks to a different kind of beaver tales, if you get what I mean. Here's your host, Josh Wharton. We do indeed stick to a different type of tales regarding beavers, the stories and tales of beaver athletes of recent or further back memory. And we're doing a lot of 2018 beaver baseball players. Jack Anderson is the newest installment of the Beaver Tales podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm Josh Wharton as we continue to run through players from this team and continue to talk from athletes from all sports as well. But due to the documentary I'm producing on this Beaver baseball team and the run through the College World Series, I'll be talking to as many players from this team as possible. And Jack is a fun one and a fun story. A guy who did not make the team when he first came to Oregon State. A true Michael Jordan story, if you will. Jack did not make the team even as a walk-on in 2014, but he stuck with it. And one of the first questions I asked him is about an email he sent to the coaches essentially requesting another opportunity to make the team. He went on to make the roster and eventually made first team all Pac-12 later on in his career and finished out with a national championship in 2018. The six foot two outfielder originally hails from Lake Oswego and also has a fun story with fellow Oregon State athlete Matt Dolan. Matt Dolan was most known for playing basketball for Oregon State, one of the walk-ons that joined Wayne Tinkle's program in his first year back in 2014. Matt has since gone on to play professional basketball in Spain, and there's a fun story at the beginning of their college careers that Jack will share here. First off, I'd like to mention one of the nonprofits that this podcast benefits by mentioning with some free exposure. Kingdom Home is an organization led by former Beaver baseball pitcher Matt Boyd, he and Ashley, his wife, run an organization in Uganda that provides a home, education, protection, empowerment, and preparation for the next stage of life for dozens of children there in Uganda who are at risk of entering the sex slave industry. And so Matt Boyd and his staff, including a house parent there in Uganda, run a great job and great organization with Kingdom Homes. You can donate and be a part of this movement they're putting together across an ocean in another part of the world, but uh, a beaver-related charity as well with Matt Boyd. You can check them out at kingdomhome.org. That's kingdomhome.org. All right, Jack Anderson is my guest. He's now studying physical therapy. He's moved on from baseball after finishing out his Oregon State career. He is studying at Regis University in Denver, Colorado. He's back home in Oregon as we speak here on the Beaver Tales podcast. Hope you enjoy this episode. Jack Anderson is my guest on the Beaver Tales podcast. Back in Oregon, you're studying in Denver, but Jack, how are you doing these days and how are you enjoying being back in Oregon? Good. It's good to be back with uh, some family. It's like the good old days where all my siblings are back around the house, so kind of a little bit of a throwback back to the good old days being around Oregon all the time, but it's been good. I, my plan was to come back here at some point after school, so this this time kind of accelerates that a little bit. We'll talk about what you're doing in Colorado now and talk about the 2018 College World Series and all that, but I want to start more at the beginning of your collegiate career at Oregon State with an email you sent, and I promise I haven't hacked into your email account, but this is one you no. posted <laughs> online, yeah. one that uh, you were there's a reason that you're proud of this one and, and for good reason. It's an email that you sent to Pat Bailey and, and Pat Casey 
back, I think it was 2014, where you basically sent a, a two paragraph message to the two of them. And you were basically asking for a walk on spot or, or their feeling on what the likelihood even was for the next year, where you said you were touching base about a meeting you had at the end of last season or 2014, you weren't even playing baseball at Oregon State. Yeah. And then you, you said, hey, I'd love to talk. I'd even be willing to drive down to Corvallis just to see you and talk about the future. And you said, if there's an opportunity for me to compete for a spot on the team next year, I promise you from the moment I return to Corvallis, you won't see a player more determined and focused to do everything in his power to be a part of Oregon State baseball. Was that in the summer before 2015, already a year after you previously hadn't made the team before when you emailed them again and mm -hmm. kept trying? Yeah, I redshirted that year. I was just lifting weights in the athletes facility. Couldn't be with the team. And there was a group of us uh, redshirting. So I uh, was on the fall, fall baseball squad, fall of 2013. And then this was in the summer of 2014. When uh, once that team ended their season, I just talked to Case and Bales and they said, hey, it's pretty much up to how the draft goes. Like we want you back, but there just might not be a spot for you. So I was just kind of touching back in base with them. And I kind of knew this could be like my swan song last chance. So I just had to put everything on the line and let them know how much it meant to me. And if I didn't make the team, I was probably going to go to a junior college and try to make the team the next year. So my plan was at some point to get another shot at a fall at Oregon State. So that's a special email for me, just remembering that time, just definitely lost and not sure what was going to happen and knew why not just give it everything I got and make sure Case knows that. And ended up working out okay, I'd say. Yeah. So you were on the team fall of 2013. You, you technically didn't make the team. There just weren't enough slots even uh -huh. as a walk-on. And so you spent 2014 not traveling with the team, not practicing with the team, just staying in shape and hoping for a chance next year. In that period of the spring of 2014 and the summer, did you have very much hope or did this feel like a last gasp? Like if it works great, but it probably won't. And I'm probably going to have to transfer and go somewhere else. Yeah, I was, I got hurt that summer too. I like tore my hamstring. So I wasn't even like playing baseball either. Like it was two weeks into the summer season in Portland and I got hurt. So I was just kind of hanging out, just hoping I got another chance. I think I never let myself get too down on myself. And until Case or Bales looked me in the eye and said I couldn't come back, I would come back. So I just kind of let, let things happen as they may. Just with the draft, I was like scrolling through the draft, I knew the guys that needed to get drafted. So I was just looking for their names, hoping these guys that were supposed to come in the next year got drafted. And it ended up, yeah, that was just like right after the draft when I wrote that email. And uh, I just tried to control what I could control at that time, but it was definitely stressful and some moments that I wasn't really sure what was going to happen. I actually talked to Ryan Gibson, Gippy, who was a coach at Oregon State now. He was at Lynn Benton Community College. And he called me and he was just like, hey, like, talked to you before. I, if, if you don't make the team, you have a spot. And I was just like, yeah, I hope I never have to talk to you again. Hopefully I make the team. But if not, I'll definitely come play for you. So it was a funny little exchange. He kind of like knew what I wanted to do. But um, it was nice of him to know he was reaching out and I'd, he'd be there for me if things didn't pan out at Oregon State. So when you sent that email to Casey and Bales and you said, if you ever feel this is not the case at any point in my career here, whether it's on or off the field, I'll leave immediately. No questions asked. Like basically yeah. like what you just said, if you say no, fair enough, I'm gone. But until you say no, I'm not quitting on this. Did you get a response to that email? And what was the timeline after that? Yeah, I think Case emailed me. It was like, yeah, come down, like come down in like a day. So I was just like, 
all right, I'm going to come and see what he has to say. And he pretty much said the draft, there's like two open spots on the team for walk-ons. Um, one's probably going to go to a pitcher. One's probably going to go to a uh, position player. So he's just like, it's your, your chance to make something of it. And in my eyes, I just knew I had another chance. And that's kind of all I needed at that point because I was confident I was becoming a better baseball player. And I started to believe in myself near the end of that fall before. So once I came back, I didn't feel like I was a freshman anymore. I kind of knew knew the team, knew I'd fit in, and uh, had probably the best fall baseball of my life that next fall. So it all kind of came together at the right time. It was definitely stressful, but it ended up being everything I could dream of and kind of made my progressions from there. At that point, when you had the meeting with him right after you sent that email, was he assuring you of a walk-on spot or just a chance that you could still work for the walk-on oh, spot? Oh yeah, it was just a chance. Like I was by no means on the 35 man. I think there was like 45 guys. I knew I knew Case respected me, Bales respected me and knew I would do anything to be a part of the team just like the email said. Uh, that, that wasn't things I was just trying to be like in a hyperbole. Like they knew exactly that's who I was. So I think I just had to perform and they were going to give me the best chance to be on the team. So yeah, I was pretty much like, hey, you can come. Like there's an actual spot for you. We're not just gonna like keep you around and then kick you to the curb. So I just kind of had to prove myself from there on. And yeah, that was a stressful drive. Going there, I was just, I think I drove with my mom and I was just like silenced the whole way. I was like, no one knows what's gonna happen here. I was not in, not in any, any position to know what was next. Yeah, it was definitely a stress relief just to know I had a chance. Now it was kind of up to me to make the most of it, which was comforting, right. honestly. So you had a chance to continue working. At what point did you then get the next step of you're actually a walk-on, you'll get a jersey, you can you know be in the dugout during yeah. games, all that stuff? Yeah, I was, that was a funny time because this was the year that um, the basketball team at Oregon State were looking for walk-ons. And I played basketball in high school. And at the beginning of the fall, I was like, I need to know that date. Like I was going to set up a date to like walk on for the basketball team I was like if things get hairy here and I don't get a good feel for if I'm going to make the team or not I was going to try out for the basketball team and uh, I think that was like middle of October and by that point I was playing really well and felt really good about it so I was like all right I probably shouldn't go just because I feel like case might hear that I'm at the basketball tryout or something so I ended up not going and then I remember I got a triple once in a um, in a scrimmage and I remember like Andy Jenkins like coming up to me just like hey I'm so proud of you I'm so happy for you and I was like okay you wouldn't be telling me that unless I'm like on the team so then I just kind of asked Case at the end of the fall I was like so am I going to be here and he's like you batted like 350 in the fall like yeah you, you made it so I needed to like confirm it with them but I felt pretty good throughout that fall of that. But yeah, the, the basketball thing almost came through, which was pretty funny. You could have started in the Civil War basketball game because they started five walk-on yeah, Oregonians so, in 2015. Yeah. So Matt Dolan, he's my guy. He, he, was, he was in the same position as me. We were both kind of fighting for that spot and uh, basketball ended up working really well for him. So him and me, we worked out together every day in the fall of 2013. He came in with me. So we both redshirted, both worked as hard as we could for a year and a half. And once that basketball thing came up, I mean, he was like 6'4", long, lengthy guy. And I think it ended up being something that worked out really well for him. And he played some solid minutes. And now he's, he's playing overseas now, too. So it's, it, it's been quite a journey for the both of us. But, yeah, I could have, should have, would have, could have. It was pretty funny. I had like a 30 minute conversation with Matt Dolan like last week. If I describe that story to you, two guys come from Oregon, one from Lake Oswego, one from Redmond. They're 
red shirting and not even walk-ons did Dolan even have a walk-on spot on the baseball team no, he, he was came... like he was just like me like we both okay. came into that fall and like kind of gravitated towards each other because we had no idea what was going yeah. on like we were just told to come pretty much walk on to the team and it was really pretty much like 50 other guys there and we're like all right dude like let's just try to get a walk on or like a red shirt spot let alone make the team so the two of you aren't even at that point good enough to get a walk on spot to a baseball team then he goes on to make the basketball team transfer to another school because he plays so well to a d2 mm -hmm. school makes the most of it there and moves on to a professional basketball mm -hmm. career you make this the yeah. team on the baseball squad and become a national champion two guys that mm -hmm. in the fall of 2013 you weren't even sure if you were good enough to be a walk-on on a team to get you know two at-bats your whole career and just yeah. be on the team and look how far you've come yeah it's amazing looking back on that year it was just me and maddie we just grinded we worked out four to five days a week and we're just on the tee when no one else was there so i think we were both kind of the same hard-working kid and once opportunities come up for a guy like me or maddie we usually make the most of it so I, I'm so happy for that guy, man. I can't believe he's still playing and overseas and stuff sounds just unbelievable. I think he's probably back in Ben now, but I need to I need to see that guy again. We we kind of went through the went through the grind together when no one knew our names by any means. So it, he's got a special place in my heart. I'm sure I'd do it with him just because we we were just kind of working as hard as we could together, which was cool. Wow. Yeah, that is that is awesome. Yeah, he's back in bed and he's doing well and hoping to continue playing in Spain and even move up yeah. a tier at some point. And so mm -hmm. uh, that's that's a great piece of your story that I didn't even know is already an awesome mm -hmm. part. So you go back to the baseball yeah. team, you earn a walk on mm -hmm. spot. So 2014, you did not make the team 2015. And that spring, you're on the team. Now you're a conventional walk on you're not playing mm -hmm. very much. You appeared in five games your very first at bat you struck out on three pitches but mm -hmm. you were on the team and you're there and in fact in the seven at bats you got you actually got three hits so you batted 429 that year so if anything yeah. my advice would be jack you should have quit while you were ahead and quit the i know team right i was at the season. top of the stats i was i was at the top when you looked at the end of the stats because i was batting 429 was, that was my dream to just like be on the team at that point because of where i came from the year before i was just like i just want to see that jersey in my locker and that, that would feel good enough. And uh, as I kind of got going and kind of had a little, just a little bit of success I had, I was kind of like, okay, like I can do more than just be a like bench guy. And I, I, I could have filled that role if I needed to. But I remember at the end of that year case, I went into our end of the year meeting and I didn't really play that much. So I was once again, not sure if case was just going to be like, Hey, like good run, but maybe not for you. So I came to that meeting and he was like, Hey, you're going to be a good hitter. Like believe in yourself. You didn't play this much this year because you had some injuries. So he knew in order for me to play well, he needed to instill a little confidence in me, I think. So getting that little bit of, Hey, we believe in you helped me that next year too. But I really liked that year just because we were, had such a young team and we were all kind of just figuring things out together. It's pretty funny seeing that whole team. It was like freshmen and sophomores and then Jeff Hendricks and Andrew Moore, uh, our leaders. We were a young team for sure. One of the constants I hear in the conversations I've had with other players on that 2018 team were moments they recall from conversations with Pat Casey that gave them confidence. So Michael Gretler at one point was a middling hitter. He batted 171 his first season yeah. of consistent playing time. Yeah. Um, similar stories from 
Kyle Novak for sure, who had very little confidence at one part of his career and then mm-hmm. later became a, a pretty solid hitter and starter for Oregon State. Uh, Stephen Kwan, same thing, where Pat Casey asked him, who's the best hitter on the team? And he said, K.J. Harrison. And Pat Casey said, sure, but why don't you think you're the – like, you got to think you're the best every time you step up mm-hmm. to the plate. So each time Pat Casey's instilling confidence and saying you got to believe in yourself. So for you, when you were a walk-on, and at that point, still unsure if you'd even stay on the team for the next season, how mm-hmm. did Pat Casey get you to be confident in yourself? Yeah, I think I was in a whole different boat than Novak. I think he knew, like, we were on completely different ends. Like, if Case did to me what he did to Novak, I don't know how long it would have lasted because Kyle just had that intensity that I think Case saw. Kyle's got a lot of Case in him, I think, with that. And me, I overthink things a lot. And, like, he doesn't have to tell me what I did wrong because I, like, know what I did wrong. So he just kind of let me be. And when I did struggle and did do things that, needed some touching up he would just tell me some things directly and he knew I'd be in the cage working on it he didn't have to kind of badger me and get in my head like he did with Kyle but I think that just goes to show how good of a coach case is he has his standards and his foundation is in winning and competitiveness and once you show that to him that you have that he's going to be able to figure you out and figure out what works best for you for me I think it was just him instilling a little bit of belief because he knew I was probably overthinking things too much. And he was just like, Hey, go out and play. You're a good ball player. Cause I hadn't played much baseball until college. So I, I was doing a lot of learning and stuff. I think once I started believing in myself, he was able to be a little bit harder on me, but earlier in those days, he was just kind of able to instill a little bit of belief in me instead of kicking me to the curb. Cause he saw I was doing everything I could. I was doing good in school, good locker room guy. So he wanted me around. And I think once I learned that I was able to kind of play a little better on the field, knowing that even though he looks mad at me all the time, like he really does care for me and he cares for us. And, uh, that intensity he brings, he does it because he loves us kind of thing. So he's instilling confidence in a guy like you where you came from yeah, less baseball experience than a lot of guys, not a you know mm-hmm. full-ride scholarship player. You were considering going playing basketball. Had you even spent a little time trying Oregon State football? I forget if we've talked about this. I tried. I mean, I love football. I remember trying to get recruited and didn't probably for the best. I was kind of on the fringe. I was looking to go to Linfield and play football, talk to Portland State. So kind of that level of football I was kind of looking at. So I played all three sports in high school. So I had some great friend groups in each team. So I tried to play every sport I could and we were we were really good in all three. So that kind of hindered me once I got to Oregon State because I mean like Nick Madrigal and Caden and those guys probably played like thousands of thousands of more hours of baseball than I ever did, even though they were like four years younger than me. So I was learning just as much as those guys, even though I was a few years older than them. Right. When you look at the rest of your journey from that point after your sophomore year, your redshirt sophomore year, I guess, technically, or I mean, I guess 2015 would have been your redshirt freshman freshman year, Uh Uh, seven at bats. And you're not even sure if you'll stay on the team next season to what happened at the end. And by 2017, you were a first team all conference player. You started Mm -hmm. 123 games in your career at OSU, the 2018 conference baseball scholar athlete of the year. And you're hoisting a national championship trophy in June of 2018. What if you had quit? What if you had quit either after 2014 when you didn't make the team or 2015 when you had seven at-bats all year or just out of high school? Like, do you ever ask yourself that what if of why why did I even do this, even though now you can look back on it and see the success story? 
Absolutely. I think um, that year I had seven at-bats during practice. There was a group of us that didn't hit on the field. Like we were like the non, no one's playing yet kind of group. And I remember the guys in that group, it's just kind of like after your sophomore year, if you're not playing, you're usually looking to go transfer, which is kind of just the state of baseball. Like everyone that's on that team wants to play and wants to make the most of their opportunities. So if they're not getting opportunities there, they're looking to leave somewhere else. And there's usually four or five guys that transfer every year off a team, I think every year. But um, for me, even though I only had seven at-bats and I was in a group for most of the year that wasn't even hitting BP during practice, let alone like before games, I didn't use that as a reason to leave. I think the year before that, I was like, hey, I wasn't even here at practice. And now I'm at practice and able to be with the team. So I saw it as a step up where some guys probably saw it as a step down. So I never really saw anywhere else I really wanted to play baseball anyway, just coming from Portland. And I think I had a unique situation of really looking up to those 06, 07 guys. So I knew that I still had three more years and it kind of came back to that email. Like I wouldn't say what I said to Case and Bales if I didn't mean it. And they would have to take that jersey from me once they gave it to me. I wasn't going to go anywhere. So I think there was never really a moment I was like, man, I should quit. Like that never really came up with me just because or transfer just because I loved or I loved Corvallis. I loved Oregon State. And uh, I just loved being a part of that Beaver family that playing was important. It got more important once I started believing myself. But just being a part of that Beaver family and stuff was meant the world to me. So I didn't want to quit. Quit on the guys that were there. You obviously are an extremely passionate player and really a hard worker in the sport and wanting to achieve your highest potential. But sports is not the only thing that you put your work and effort into. Uh, when I was looking at your 2018 senior class award page where it lists all your achievements and what you've done on and off the field and the community service things that you did volunteering at Tim Tebow's night to shine the I five winter coat drive the humane society the 2017 special Olympics the beavers without borders trip the community impact volunteer for kids with disabilities visiting the veterans DA VA homes the pen pal program the helping lend a shoe and equipment drive visiting Dornbecker's children's hospital in Portland speaking to your hometown little league youth basketball camp volunteer the candle lighters fishing trip mentor I'm not finished yet fire safety <laughs> day volunteer and a track restoration project at a local middle school school okay there there's the whole list <laughs> there it is you, there were so many projects you were actually the baseball team's community service liaison like you were the community service mm -hmm. guy on the whole team with all of that was the same thing that made you passionate enough to say to pat casey look i'm not gonna quit i'm gonna do everything i can to get on this team until you say no was the same thing that stoked that fire also the same thing that motivated you to all these community service things? And if so, what was that foundation for your passion? Yeah, that's a great question. Like when I, when I came on the team, we weren't really doing that much community service. And luckily I had some mentors back home in Lagos Oswego that I remember in football, we'd always do some um, community service involvement in the community. And I just kind of grew up in a environment and a people that surround me that kind of just told me it's not what you have, it's what you give. And I think that just kind of rang true, especially when I got on the team and had a platform to really make some monumental changes in, a, in an area that gives the baseball team so much. So yeah, that first year when I didn't play that much, I was kind of like, I can, we can probably give back. I can give back in a different way. So I just saw it as kind of an avenue to kind of make myself 
uh, more a part of the team and get guys that are so focused on baseball all the time to really branch out and see the impact we have as baseball players. So I remember I just kind of told Case I want to like do these projects and he's just like, dude, go for it. They don't feel like, I didn't feel like they really did too much community service until I was there and I was, was fortunate enough there was already so many opportunities through the athletic department that I got in with Lindsey Goodman and Kim Yamasi, who really work with student athletes at Oregon State. Uh, they were just excited to have the baseball team kind of grow their community service involvement. And I remember that little track restoration thing was really cool. I think that was, I think that was 2016 when we did that. And the whole team was out there and able to kind of do some team bonding while helping out the community. So I always just try to stay as busy as I could and all these opportunities were kind of given to us because just the athletic department already having so many opportunities for us to do. So once we were able to latch on, I think it gave guys a little bit more than just being at the baseball field, kind of like nine to five almost and just right. kind of enjoy, enjoy being in a small like college town. Yeah. Well, let's touch on what you've done since Oregon State and your current work and studies. And then we'll come back to the 2018 College World Series and just kind of run mm -hmm. through piece by piece yeah. in Omaha and all that stuff. But now you're you're in PT school, essentially, working on a degree at Regis University in Denver. What is the degree exactly? Is it a master's or, or uh -huh. working for a doctorate? And what's your yeah. passion with PT mm -hmm. school? Yeah. So physical therapy is now a doctoring profession. So it's a doctorate in physical therapy. So it's like three years, like three and a half or something like that. It's like right around three years. It's been, I'm in the middle of it. I like just don't even remember when I started almost, especially <laughs> these past few months. But yeah, it's like three years of pretty intensive schoolwork. And uh, once I am done and take the board exam and pass the board exam in uh, 2021, I'll be a doctor in physical therapy and uh, be able to kind of just serve the community, serve others that have their injuries. It could be little kiddos. It could be older population and everything in between. I'll be able to kind of help them with their injuries and uh, get them back to where they want to be. So I'm definitely excited. Exciting. It's an exciting profession. I remember physical therapists helping me out with all my sports injuries. So that kind of gravitated me easily towards physical therapy. And uh, when I was at Oregon State, I, was, I knew I wanted to be a PT and knew if I didn't make the baseball team, at least I could um, be a part of sports in some way as a physical therapist. So I always knew it would kind of be my outlet to still be in sports. And that's kind of my goal once I'm done with school. So yeah, I'm back back home now, but Denver's been pretty sweet. It's been a fun time and uh, excited to kind of help come back into Oregon and help the community that way. Yeah, seems like that's your passion, whether it's just the community service at Oregon State or in your career, and you'll be mm -hmm. able to come back to Corvallis, like you were mentioning before the show, and working at the, the Samaritan facility right next to Reeser Stadium. So mm -hmm. you'll be back in Corvallis. What, what time will that be during a spring? You can catch some Oregon yeah, State baseball games? Or? Yeah, it'll be like February to April. So I'll, I'll get to go to all the rainy games. <laughs> it will be fun. Will that be 2021 or two? 2021, yeah, next year. So okay. that'll, that'll be cool. And hopefully there's no injuries, but if there are, like it'll be cool to work with some baseball players. And I think that'll be kind of a unique opportunity for sure to be a part of that on the other side of playing, which will be cool. Well, that's perfect. Let's go back to 2018 and talk about Omaha and the College Road Series and how that whole classic season came to a conclusion. When you think back to Omaha in 2018, is it the classic moments like 
Caden's at bat in game two and the foul ball that led to the single or Trevor Larnick's home run right after that or Kevin Abel's performance in game three. Are those the moments that stand out or are there other memories of Omaha and the College World Series that come most up into your daydreams when you're thinking about it? Yeah, I've ran through the games many a times. I think I, like with all this time, I've watched all the games on YouTube and stuff multiple times through until like four in the morning, just watching every game. And uh, yeah, I think that Arkansas series is an absolute, just like, it's just unbelievable to think about. I almost blurred it out just because it was so intense. And there were so many things I think going on in those moments that uh, I love hearing Mike Parker's calls to both Caden and Trevor's. Caden single and then Trevor's home run. I think those will live on for longer than any of us are going to be around just because they're such epic moments in baseball history. And uh, yeah, I think for me, I, the biggest moments were when Kwani got hurt and I had to play center field for the first time all year. And I was just like, dude, you like, I, I've been here five years. I thought I'd seen everything. And now I got like case coming up to me before a game and just like, Hey, we're not taking batting practice on the field, but uh, you got to play center field. And I was like, dude, okay. Like this is, this is reaching the maximum amount of pressure that I can deal with right now. But I can, I, I just kind of had to figure it out and kind of do what I always did and just be the best team player I could be. That was definitely, those moments were the biggest ones for me. Was that, Game three, because you started in center field in game three. Was that your first start in center field your whole career on your last game of your career? I started in center at Oregon. It was at Oregon State against Abilene Christian in 2017. And that was like the last series of the year where we were non-conference. And Case just kind of threw me out there for some fun and I think give Kwani some time off. But yeah, that whole year I was in left field. So yeah, that was that was uh, the first time and I was – Pretty nervous, for sure. Not going to lie. I think, was that against, I think it was against Mississippi State. You know, no, it was it was North Carolina. Our second game against North Carolina in the loser's bracket was when I came in and it was kind of raining and it was a lot, it was a lot of Oregon weather kind of deal. <laughs> yeah. So then when you started, it, you had a couple under your belt, but still very new to play center field. Mm-hmm. In game two, when Kwani was out, Preston Jones got the start. You did play partway through, mm-hmm. but game three, you're the starter in center field for the final game of the season. What did mm-hmm. Case tell you before he penciled you in and how you were feeling before game three of the College World Series mm-hmm. finals? Yeah, I remember starting out there, and at that point, we had so much confidence rolling. He was able to pencil me in there and just ask me if I'm good. I'm like, yeah, man, literally, this is the last game I'll ever play, win or lose. So I want to be out there and take every moment in. So at that point, all the Arkansas fans were gone too. So they weren't yelling at you all game and saying God knows what about everyone in your family. So uh, that was kind of a stress relief. Didn't have to deal with that as we did in the first and second games. And once the game started rolling, once it got to the fourth and fifth inning, I was like, oh my goodness, like Kevin's rolling. Like this is, this is the guy we've seen so much of in practices do this and as as he had done the last month of baseball so kind of knew at that point it was it was kind of our our time to shine what did it mean to you knowing you weren't going to play professional baseball when guys like McMadrill and Adley were Mm going to go on but that wasn't your path it wasn't like you got drafted in the 10th round like Gretler did or anything like that so Mm -hmm. you knew that was your last game not of your college career but just of organized baseball except for maybe a summer league softball and Lake Oswego 20 years from now or something Uh like this this was it so was that hitting you then and it didn't mean even more to you in Omaha Mm -hmm. yeah definitely I think that whole year I kind of already knew 
once I got into school at Regis for physical therapy school, which was like the week before the season started, I kind of knew like I was going to go to PT school. So that whole year, I kind of knew this was going to be the like each day was kind of the last day of this thing going on last day against UCLA last day against these guys and uh, that just kept rolling and rolling and once we made Omaha again I was like I can't believe we're even here again this is so cool and then as we kept going and going yeah I think that last game really hit me hard and that was the most nervous I've ever been just because I knew it was my last game it was what I was always going to remember yeah I just remember finding a little corner in in the locker room and just having to collect my thoughts and really start getting into a like positive mindset just because there was a lot of emotion about it being my last game it was my plan the whole time it was harder than I thought it'd be knowing it was my last game but uh yeah I think it it all works out the way it should man it was definitely definitely a special moment even though I probably I maybe struck out like twice or three times that game I don't really remember those at all I remember winning so it was all good there may be a few memories that stick out one of the one of the ones that ended up, although it was difficult in the moment, and I'm sure will be hard to remember, and I don't mean to plunge the knife, but we can laugh about it now because you won the championship. In game two, the sixth inning, I'm sure was hard when you get subbed in for Kyle Novak, mm-hmm. and then the bunt goes wrong, and everything seems terrible in that, in that second. Now, we know oh, what wow. happened in the ninth inning, and you win the game, so we can laugh mm-hmm. about it now, but take me to the difficulty and the worry of not getting the bunt down, double up Michael Gretler at third base, and it seems like the whole rally, well, the whole rally was kind of stymied yeah. in that moment. I finally watched that, like, a couple weeks ago that at bat, and I was just, like, sweating. Like, I still, like, sweat thinking about that moment. It was, like, no outs first and third, and I, I kind of knew I was going to get a bunt and felt fine doing it and just, like, kept my head down the whole time, and I looked up and just saw the little arc, and I was like, nah, one of these, come on. Yeah, once that happened, going back to the dugout and being like, now I got to go out in the outfield and deal with people telling me how bad I am at bunting and stuff like that. That was definitely the toughest moment of my career. And at that point, I thought that was going to be my last at bat. Like I thought probably for good chances, I'm not going to get another opportunity to hit for good reason after doing that. So I was like, well, that's your last at bat, buddy. Way to mess that one up. So I was just at that point, just trying to do as much as I could on defense. And there was still plenty of game left. But yeah, I kind of felt like things were crashing in on me. Definitely, especially in that big moment. Um, You want to do your best. And luckily, that's the best part of team sports. You might not be on, but that's why you got teammates that are going to pick you up. So once we were able to get the lead in the ninth, all my anxieties and worries, man, they went out the door because I got a bunch of great baseball players surrounding me. When you had that bunt that got caught, you next inning, you went out to left field, you made one catch, you have the put out mm-hmm. of the next half inning after that, but you don't have another at bat in that game. You get subbed out. Then the ninth inning, Oregon State's about to lose if Caden Grenier gets out, if that foul ball gets caught. When that foul ball mm-hmm. dropped and then he hit the single, were you, being the guy who had the out earlier in the sixth inning, were you the most relieved person in America at that point yeah. to realize the season I was is going so on? so shocked. Yeah, I was like, even in all like the celebrations and stuff, like you can't see me, like you don't see my number anywhere, because I think I was just like still shaking and like the dugout, like couldn't believe what was going on. I was just like so just shell shocked by what Caden just did, and like the drop ball happened, and I was just like, that doesn't really matter. Like Caden still has to get a hit on this guy, and it gives us another opportunity. But like it's baseball, getting the hits hard, and uh, just seeing how clutch he got and 
just shooting the ball right through the six hole was just unbelievable. And yeah, at that point I was like, okay, now we're tied. And then I looked at our outfield and I think Joe Casey was going to go to center and then Zach, Zach was going to go to left field and two guys that have never played outfield this whole year. And they're both freshmen. And I was just like, all right, boys, hold on to this lead if you can once Trevor hit a home run. So it was like Trevor, Joe, and Zach. I, I was hoping they get a ball and make a play or something, but my worries turned away from it being my last game. And I was just like, I hope those guys can survive out there in the in the mosh pit of Arkansas fans. But they did just fine. I don't know if anyone got a ball, but it was definitely a cool moment for them to be out onto the out in the field and experience that bottom of the ninth. You go to game three, and you said you've watched the game a bunch of times, or at least you know once or twice recently. I don't know if you've looked at the box score of game three, but in your line on the box score, it gives you three at-bats, and it says you were left on base five times. Have you mm. seen that? No. No, I don't think I got on base, to be honest. I'm pretty sure. Right. I'm assuming it's just a glitch. but Yeah. It, but uh, hey, L- it looks pretty <laughs> – <Yeah>. as long <laughs> as it's in the stats, I don't think anyone's going to remember. Even if there's three Ks right next to the over three, <laughs> at least I got on base five times. Apparently. But, I don't know yeah. what happened there, but That's it's funny. But yeah, I think Preston, Preston came in for me in like the sixth, and Bales was like, hey, we're just going to put Preston in. Like, he's got a little more speed. And then like four pitches later, there was a ball in the gap that he snagged pretty easily. And I was like, Bales, good call there. I'm not sure I would have got to that one. So I was just kind of joking with him. It was pretty funny. Um, so you get to the championship and, and you talked about the celebration. I was looking at the game three after Kevin Abel's final pitch and I was looking for number 29 on there and I could not see you the entire one. Mm-hmm. I think you, you were talking about game two, I think, sir, earlier yeah, in the celebration, too. but even mm-hmm. a similar, at least the TV cameras, I didn't see you anywhere, but I'm sure you yeah. were somewhere in uh-huh. that dog pile. Yeah. And mosh I was, pit. I was like right on Kevin and Adley. I just remember Kevin just being like, ow, 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 ow. Like we won. This is awesome. Ow, 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 ow. So I was like trying to like give him a little like air bubble, give him some space, but that was impossible. But yeah, I think once I came out in the sixth, and I was like, well, regardless, like this is it. I feel pretty good right now that we're going to win. But it was definitely a moment and Bales and Case came over and just kind of patted me on the back, just kept focused on the game. But um, each guy kind of just gave me a little pat on the back and it was something something special to finish finish off in that environment especially when we kind of had a good idea that Kevin kept rolling we were going to get to the top of the mountain so it was definitely definitely a interesting three innings just kind of like aimlessly just like all right we can do this like let's not mess this up yep so yeah it was cool it was, I remember I think I was it was like me Quan and uh Bryce Femmel kind of just like hanging out during that night then together just kind of wrapping them in my arms just like so stoked to just rush this thing it was really cool yeah you knew your, your career is over you're not playing another year you're not playing pro ball you can't get subbed back into the game this is game three yeah. there's no chance for the series to extend uh-huh. and you watch the team close it out and you're a national champion and your mm-hmm. final season of a career that started as a near basketball player you're not on the <laughs> baseball team and now you're you're mm-hmm. dogpiling in Omaha um, yeah. 
here's my final question for you. And there's been a couple interesting answers from uh, like Kyle and Michael and Kwani, for example, where Novak said after winning the World Series, it was clear to him that success doesn't lead to happiness. That was kind of his takeaway, his philosophical takeaway from winning a national championship is that you first have to be happy and inspired and that can lead to success, but it's not the success itself that you can rely on for happiness. Mm -hmm. Uh, Michael Gretler had kind of a different takeaway where he really appreciated the process and and the things he daydreams about most are the practices and the other games and being with the team and the camaraderie more than just Omaha, more than just the final conclusion. So that was his kind of realization of what a championship meant to him. So whether it's similar to one of those or a different thing, when you, Jack, think about the national championship and, and how it changed you, how it affected you, and what you learned from it, was there a lesson you took away from Omaha beyond just a physical trophy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the biggest portion of what we learned all kind of as Beavers was kind of what Gret said of how we learned to compete every day, just not like in those big moments. And I think just learning about how to be a champion each day, each day you wake up, you have an opportunity to make the most of it. And I think that's why that team was so great and why we had such great records for those 2007, 2018 is we really took that to heart and just tried, tried our best to make each 24 hours something special. And that's something Case would tell us for the four years you were there with Case, he would tell you that to you, tell that to you. And we were a group that really, I think, took pride in what he was telling us. So I think about that championship team. I think, I think about all those guys. I think about how special working as hard as you can to achieve something with 35 other guys that are all bought in. There wasn't a bad apple in the bunch was uh, something I'm always going to miss. It's always cool reconnecting with those guys because that's a special bond. Whether we won the national championship or not, I was always going to love those guys. So I think Case always just made sure that brotherhood was always there. And once we competed as hard as we could, Case always said there was, if there was a scoreboard out there, he's going to try to win. And I think it took a bit of me to get used to that just because I always was kind of that process-oriented guy that was like hey there's only so many things you can control but I think Case made it made it known that he wanted to win everything at all times and that was his personality and I think our our team collectively took that on and tried to win every game we could and just never refused to lose so I just I remember those little moments I think more than the big like dog pile and national championships kind of like what Brett said um, those those moments that we talked about early in my career that kind of led, I, I don't think I would have been able to do what I did later on in my career without some low moments. And it's kind of those peaks and valleys. You can't really appreciate that national championship for me without those tough moments. Yeah, I, I think Gret and, Gret and Noby have it spot on. And I really, really like Novak and how he looks at that and knows that you can see it with a bunch of people that have had success. It doesn't really prove who you are as a person. Maybe it's kind of what happens to you in one moment and there's going to be life after that. So I think as a team, I hope we're all doing well with moving forward in our lives and using a championship as a vehicle to remember how to work hard and what comes from it. Well, you ended as a national champion. Jack, thanks so much for your time. Best of luck at Regis and everything you got going in the process of becoming Dr. Jack Anderson. And uh, <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be fun to see. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, Josh. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it.
Jack Anderson's story would be a delightful one, even if he went from not making the team to being on the roster for, let's just say, a mediocre Division One program. And they don't make the postseason, but he gets a few starts and look where he came from for not even making the team. That's a cool story in of itself. But then to be a starting outfielder on a national championship team is just a crazy story for Jack Anderson. And I'm honored to have him on this podcast and have him recount that whole story. I think there's a reason you can tell he's a bit of a fan favorite. I think that's a fair phrase to use for Jack Anderson. There may be multiple fan favorites on that team, but Jack Anderson certainly is one of them from that Beaver baseball squad. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Beaver Tales podcast. More episodes forthcoming. We do not stop no matter what. And as we continue to talk to more Beaver athletes, Hit me up on Twitter if you want to recommend any athlete. I'll see if I can get a hold of him. My Twitter handle, at BrightTies, the word bright, the word ties. My name's Josh Warden. Until next time on the Beaver Tales podcast, good night and go Beavers.